Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. A podcast with ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. Here are your hosts, Dave Adamson and Ashley Bohens. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Think Orange Podcast. My name is Dave. This is episode 60. And across the table from me in the Think Orange Bunker is my good friend, Ashley. Hey. How are you doing today? I am happy to be in the bunker. Are you having a good summer? I am. uh, I love summer, although it's very hot in Atlanta. It is. It's it's not just hot. It's muggy. Yeah, your skin is like you just put lotion on all the time. (laughs) I don't know what that's like, but... You don't put lotion on? Are you talking about sunscreen? Whatever you want to say, Dave. I'm not sure what they teach you in Australia. Well, in Australia, (laughs) we have this thing in Australia called slip, slop, slap. And so what you have to do is slip on a shirt, slop on some sunscreen and slap on a hat. Do you want to know what, Dave? What? I used to be a health teacher and I used to teach that program in my class. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. I thought that was an Australian thing. Well, maybe that's where we got it. Probably because, you know, skin cancer is very high in Australia because of the lack of ozone layer. It's actually the most common form of cancer here too. So this is a PSA for everybody who's listening. Make sure you slip on a shirt, slop on some sunscreen and slap on a hat this summer. We are caring for you here on the Think Orange Bunker. Hey, one more way to care for you is this coming weekend is Father's Day. Now is the time for you to be thinking about that. Make sure you're getting your dad a present. Um, Ash, what are you getting your dad for Father's Day? Um, Actually, he has plans to go to Washington, D.C. to celebrate. Unfortunately, I won't be there, but I am buying him a gift certificate for Lyft or Uber, whichever one. I don't know. Hang on, hang on. I just realized he might be listening to this and now he knows what he's getting. Is that okay? Yeah. I've already given it to him at this point. Oh, okay. Because I I want him to get around DC because I used to live up there and it's a lot of walking. But it's a great town. I love it's, DC. It's amazing, especially when you can call a Lyft ride to bring you across to your car after your feet no longer work. <laughs> True. You've got a great relationship with your dad, right? I do. Is my, he a good my, father? <laughs> he's a good, good father. <laughs> I love how you set me up for that. But seriously, he's been like a number one fan and oh, cheerleader so for good. me my whole life. That I, is... I can't even think of a game he missed that I played in growing up. Well, speaking of games, I mean, it, it the NBA Finals coming down to the wire. I mean, go that team that's in front right now because we pre-record this and we don't know who it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we can't do that because I would have so much to say if the Cavs are in it. Well, speaking of games, the NBA Finals are just about upon us. And while that's really cool and everything, Ash, I just wanted to talk about basketball for a minute because people don't know how much of a basketball superstar you are. No, we're. We're, Dave. (laughs) Hey, it's like the president. You're always president no matter what. So I'm saying for right now, (laughs) you are always a basketball superstar. Now, (laughs) rumor has it that you scored about 1,000 points, right? Well, we're talking about like my high school career here, not like not something beyond that. But I, what, the rumor that I heard, I mean, I was hanging around with some people from ESPN and Sports Illustrated last week, and when I talked to them about the Think Orange podcast, they said, "Is that Ashley? Is Ashley on that as well?" I said, "Yes," and they said, "Did you know that she needed 34 points in her final game to crack 1,000 points for the season?" And I said, "No, she did not. Did she get it?" And they said, "She got it." Is this true? It feels so good to be known. (laughs) (laughs) Is that true, though? It's true. I needed 34 (laughs) points in my last game, and and so I got 34 points so I could have the record because I'm a three on the Enneagram, and I love (laughs) to achieve. (laughs) Ah, So you scored those 34 points. How much did the rest of the team score? 
Something tells me you were hogging the ball at that point. Well, I I don't mean to offend anybody on the team, but like at halftime, I had all the points except two. <laughs> so I was really carrying my team. So and then it, the other team went to a box and won the second half so right. that I wouldn't keep scoring. Oh. And it it worked. It frustrated me so much, but we ended up losing the game. But hey, I won the record. So, <laughs> so you got you got chaired off anyway, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Whenever- Pretty much. The, the other team won, but at the end of the game, like they did this whole like ball presentation to me, and we were the ones who lost. <laughs> I can just imagine you in every team huddle. Just get the ball to me. Get the ball to me. I got this. I got this. You are clutch. So what you're saying is like, I'm the LeBron James. I I was literally, look, it's written in my notes right here. I was about to say, so you are the LeBron James of high school women's basketball. I'll take that title, Dave. Yeah, and so (laughs) you should. Hey, speaking of Washington, because we were talking about that just before, is anybody still listening, do you think? (laughs) What to say to that, Dave? Uh, We were talking about Washington just before, and today on the show, we have a very special guest from Washington. It's Heather Zempel. She is the Discipleship Pastor and Campus Ministries Director at National Community Church. Alongside her will be Doug Fields, and we are specifically today talking about small groups. Um, What I just loved about the conversation we just had, Ash, I know this stuff about you because I'm in community with you, and this is really the important part of what we're talking about today, because we, if you want to make big change, you have to be in a small group. You know, Dave, Heather Zimple is such an amazing person we can sit at the feet of and learn from because she actually just authored a book called Big Changes Small Groups, which, which is actually the adult version of the book Lead Small. We've been asked for that resource for a really long time, and yeah. I'm so excited we finally have it. Yeah, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, we talk a lot about uh, family ministry, student ministry, children's ministry, but this really is a resource for adults, right? It is for adults, Dave. What? It, why do you say? Why do you say that? It just you have a unique way of saying. How that do word you too, say it? But adult. But I like adult. That's better. Hang I'll on, use that. Hang on. How do you say it? Adult. How do I say it? Adult. I don't understand the you difference. You put the emphasis on the a. And you put and the you put the emphasis D. on the adult. Yeah. Adult. Adult. No. I don't even know what I say anymore. <laughs> you say adult. It's for adults, right? It's for adults. <laughs> The, the adult leaders in an adult small group, Dave, and it really helps them understand how to lead an ad... ad- <laughs> no, you didn't know how to say it yourself. It, it, an ad- adult. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we also have Doug Fields on. Now, as somebody who's been in student ministry for a long time, Doug Fields is like legendary for you, right? He is the goat. The goat. I love it. Why, why is he the goat? Well, because not a lot of people stay in youth ministry for as long as Doug Fields has. He's the, he's authored like, I don't even know, 50 books or more. And really? there are so many resources that he's put in the hands of youth leaders to help make us better. And so I'm like forever grateful. He's really impacted my profession. Ash, he's also like, I had the opportunity to meet him at Orange Conference. I've interviewed him a couple of times. He's kind of muscly. <laughs> yes, he is. He could break you in half, Dave. Right. He could tear a phone book in half. He is. A phone book? I could do that. Do you know what? It, some of our listeners might know, <laughs> might not know what a phone book is. Yeah. 
<laughs> I've got to think of another reference now. I was thinking you. like He could tear me in half. He could break you on his knee. <laughs> he probably could. And he has also lived a fantastic story. And if you'd like to live a better story yourself, we have a great resource for you. And Live a Better Story is actually the sponsor of today's episode. It's an adult curriculum. <laughs> That's right. It is a subscription-based adult small group strategy that includes an ever-growing library of Bible studies. It provides a structure for your church to set up and launch small groups. And it also provides incredible resources to help prepare and support your small group leaders. You know, Dave, the cool thing about Live a Better Story is if you're listening and you use the, our, our preschool, our children's and our students curriculum, mm-hmm. the Live a Better Story curriculum really falls in line with that. So it's like a complete lifespan curriculum with like similar components. And so it's a great way to transition from student ministry out of student ministry into adulthood and carry it through. So parents are speaking the same language Mm. as their children. Yeah. If you'd like to learn more, just go to liveabetterstory.com, liveabetterstory.com. Hey, we're going to throw it over to Heather and Doug, and they are being interviewed, Ash, by our good friends, Sarah Bragg and Holly Crawshaw, both of whom are on staff here at Orange. Let's do it. I live in Southern California where we don't have basements. Who has a basement? I know that's weird, but I think basements are very cool, especially when you don't have one. You don't think anything about them, but I think they're cool to have them because I've never had a basement before. You actually get to count square footage, uh, you know, or it doesn't count, and you get to decorate it if you want. But those of you that know basements, what's the name of this basement? This is a what? Unfinished basement. Okay. When you have an unfinished basement, you t- rarely take people down there, right? You stay above, stay above ground. You don't mess around with the unfinished basement. And then this is a what? Finished basement. This is, this is warm. It's actually a little bit male-friendly. It's kind of a man cave. Uh, but it, it's kind of a place of comfort and retreat. And I give you this picture because I think this is where a lot of leaders live. A lot of leaders in the church have an unfinished basement. That their soul is um, damp and dark, and um, not cleaned up, and they're not paying attention to it. Their house, which is their ministry, looks great. People from a distance look in and go, what a nice-looking house. But a lot of leaders live with what I would call an unfinished basement, all right? And so what I have done in my own life and in some consulting and friendships and things is I have tried to identify the floor plan of the basement of our soul. And I'm not saying this is the floor plan, but these are the six areas that I think require attention from leaders. But let me, let me give you one. One is drive. And we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, this is a, this is a, uh, this is a room in the basement of our soul. A second would be time. What do we do with time? We've all been given 1,440 minutes a day. What do we do with it as leaders? Uh, A room that I call the study and learn. Okay, that would be the intellect of our spiritual strength is another one. Um, refreshment. If you don't get refreshment as a leader, you will not complete the marathon. And the last is, is calling. So to me, these are, these are the rooms within a leader's soul. You might come up with other ones, and yours would probably be right and better. 
Some of these will actually bleed together. You're going to say, well, that kind of sounds like that, or couldn't you have collapsed those? Yeah, probably. Um, I would just say this. Maybe this is all carpeted, and some of the threads are going to weave from one one room into the, the next. But I want to take a look at these six areas, and I want to give you really some reflection questions, some things for you to think about outside of this workshop when you do pull into a rest stop. See, the best part of how many of you have not been to very many conferences? Let me see. Okay, if you haven't been to very many conferences, let me give you a pro tip. Here's the pro tip. Take a bunch of notes, but here's what most people do. They take a bunch of notes, they're inspired, they go, that's great, and then they go from the conference right back to the church, and their notebook sits on a shelf or in a file folder. My encouragement to you is when the conference is done, you know, go to Chick-fil-A, because you know that's where Jesus would eat, all right, and it's Christian chicken, and go there, you know, like, set out an hour a week for the next two months just to unpack some of what you've learned, so this isn't just a one-time experience, and some of the stuff that I'm going to give you is going to require you to unpack it a little bit. You know, the scriptures tell us this, is Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything that you do. Leaders, let me just tell you from an experienced leader, you cannot sustain a long-term busy pace without danger to yourself or others. Okay, you can sprint. You might even win the sprint. But you can't go long-term at a busy pace with an unfinished basement without damage to yourself or to others. So let's take a look at drive. And let me just kind of define what I think a driven person looks like. And some of you will see yourself in this. Some of you will see the people you work for in this. A driven person is most gratified only by accomplishments. And I'm going to kind of buzz through these, these quickly. A driven person is often thinking about status connections. Here's a big one. A driven person is rarely satisfied. You might pull off a great event, but then immediately afterwards, okay, what's my next leadership high. A driven person is likely to shortcut integrity. That the end goal is so important that, you know, the few missteps along the way, not that big a deal. Uh, and another way of saying it, a driven person is often known for a trail of bodies in their wake. That some of you are working at a church and you didn't do your proper homework for that church and you look and you go, oh, that's why. Now I understand why they've had 10 leaders in the last 10 years kind of go through this position because there's a driven leader that's leading. A driven person is often highly competitive. And a driven person is usually very, very busy. Now, my style in how I write and how I teach is not just to identify the problem. I don't think that requires intelligence. Anybody can identify the problem. I think wisdom says, let's go, what are the solutions? Give me the so what, Doug. So let's, let's, let me give you, in each of these, I just want to give you two actions to begin with, and you can come up with more on your own, but two actions to take action on, on drive. The first, and those of you in the back can't see it, I'll just say it out, you know, make authentic community a top priority. If you struggle with drive, You've got to find authentic community in your life. Leaders, I would say this. That's your job. You're responsible for that. Kathy and I are consulting a church right now, and all the leaders, you know, they're waiting for the people above them to provide community for them. 
If you're a leader, that's your job to find community. And it may be outside of that church. Now, when I say authentic community, there's a difference between artificial community and authentic community. Okay? Jim, my friend, how many years have we known each other? In Ten years. Ten years. We've been a, done different youth ministry conferences together. I know Jim. I know a little bit of his life. I would say he, him and I have artificial community. Okay? We know him. We know each other. We like each other. We text each other once a year or whatever. But we don't have authentic community because we're not doing life on life. Okay? So uh, at Saddleback, when, when Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven um, Life, you know, the best-selling book in the history of nonfiction publishing, he was out, on t- he was out all the time. And because he was away from the church so much, I was the number two speaker-preacher at the church which you can't imagine the look of disappointment that you people would have. They'd travel from all over the world to hear Rick Warren and like, oh, we get this guy. So, you know, believe me, I, I've, I know what criticism and hate looks like. So, you know, <laughs> but what I realized is that, you know, every week I'm standing up in front of 25,000 people and I am, bare, you know, what preaching is, is your life through scriptures, and I'm teaching people, and I realize that thousands and thousands of people know me, but very few know me. And so what I realized is I had to invite community into my life. So I sent an email to seven guys that I thought, I'd like to do life with these seven guys, and hopefully four would respond with a positive. And actually, all seven responded. And basically, what I asked is, is I want you to come close to me and anything, you know, let's spend time together, what that looks like more than just mountain biking or CrossFit. But, you know, let's, let's actually hang together, ask each other tough questions, because I want you to point out any inconsistency that you hear from the pulpit that you see in my life. I had to invite that in, because I think you, you keep thinking, you know, it's going to come, one of my volunteers, we're going to become friends. You, you have to just seek it out. Now, just curious, what makes that difficult? What do you think? Vulnerability, accountability, busyness, busyness, pride. Yeah, being transparent. This is not an easy action. But why is this part of drive? Because people who come close to your life can now ask you questions about motive. Why did you say yes to that? Because, by the way, yes is what makes you busy. We're yes people. Okay? And yes is what increases our busyness. Why, why do a lot of ministry leaders not have good marriages? Because they say yes to everybody else, and they come home, and they give their family their no and emotional scraps. Okay? So accountability, what accountability does is it allows somebody in your life to question your motives, to ask questions about it. Because you know people who are driven and driven and driven and driven, they don't have people in their life asking them the difficult questions. And then the second little sub point here is to fast forward to your life's final scene. Your fast forwards life. You're, you're now in hospice. Okay. You're in hospice. You're dying in your living room. That's your final scene. What do you want around your final scene? Okay. I've watched both my parents pass and, you know, at the very end of their life, it wasn't like my dad was asking for bowling trophies or, you know, PowerPoint presentation of his 401k. What do they want to be around? Yeah, family, people, relationships, you know, all of that, all of that matters. And so for many of us in here in ministry, you're build, you're driven to build something that won't be with you at the end. 
Okay. Because the truth is, and some of you won't like this, and that's okay. You may be a few years from getting this, and that's okay. Anybody can do your job. Sorry. Anybody can do your job. When the first church I was at for 11 years, I probably stayed a year too long, and I said to one of my mentors, I said, I just feel like if I leave now, they're going to be in trouble. And he just started laughing. He said, Doug, go home. Do you have a bucket? And I said, yeah, I got a bucket. He says, take that bucket and fill it up with water and then put your fist in it and then pull your fist out. And the amount of time you leave a hole in that bucket of water is the amount of time you will be missed when you leave your church. (laughs) Yeah, he didn't have the spiritual gift of encouragement, but he definitely was prophetic. And you know what? He was right. Why? Because it was a job and anybody can do that job. After 19 years at Saddleback, when Rick Warren said to the entire church congregation, Doug Fields is one of my best friends. I've been gone for five years. You know how many times my best friend has called me? <laughs> and I, love, I mean, he could hear this recording. That would be okay with me. Uh, well, he calls me when he needs me to speak or wants me to speak. That's okay. Okay? That, that, but, but all that to say, man, everything continues on. But only one person can be a mom or dad to your children. Only one person could be a husband or wife to your spouse, all right? So, you know, fast forward to that life's final scene. That will mess with your drive a little bit. Does that make sense? All right, there's a second room in our soul, and it's the room of, of time. And for some of you, this is the loudest and largest room in your, your basement because this is one of the common cries. I'm pretty disorganized, and I'm not getting anything of, of consequence done. And as I talk with leaders, this is some of the tips that I give them. First is this, is to identify and track, identify and track the rhythms of your time. Identify and track the rhythms of your time. So I've got to know my time rhythms to be effective with my time. One of the things we all have in common is 1,440 minutes a day, regardless of your education, your finances, your background, whatever. We can't, we can't make more time, 1,440. See, time management is not choosing between the good from the bad. That's not time management. Time management is choosing between the good and the great. Okay, life is not about simple choices. You know, tomorrow do I pet a puppy or get a colonoscopy? Okay, you know, it's not, life is not that, that easy. So identify and track those rhythms of your time and you'll be more effective. Second is this, realize that every yes is a no to someone. And as leaders, if you're going to make the marathon, you have to manage your time to be a good steward of your time. And you got to be aware of the time suckers. The time suckers are the people who say, this will only take a minute. When they say that, just say, get behind me, Satan. Okay, because that is a lie from the pit of hell. There is no such thing as it'll just take a minute. Because if you don't control your time, others will control your time for you. And so people like to have their, you know, we always think when people want something that it's an emergency. You don't have to make other people's problems your problems. Now, it doesn't mean I'm very, you know, one of my spiritual gifts is pastoral care. I mean, I have, I'm very, like, with people. I cry with them. I bleed with them. But I also realize that I can cry and bleed with them at 2 o'clock. Okay? It doesn't have to be at 10 o'clock. So, you know, and not everybody, when, once you begin to manage your time, not everybody likes that. Okay? But the reality is, those people who don't like it, 
Okay, so when I walk out of the church and I told Kathy, you know, she called and gave me grace, what time will you be home for dinner? Because three kids, the whole bed, and I'd say six o'clock. I've learned happy wife, happy life, and I'm going to be there at six because if not, she's mad. Okay, she's bummed trying to get the kids in the whole bed, and I roll in at 6.30 because Mrs. Jones stopped me in the church parking lot. Doug, it'll just take a minute, okay? Well, I need to say to Mrs. Jones, Mrs. Jones, I love you, and I want to talk to you, but if I don't get home at 6 o'clock for this dinner, and I have, I'm now praying and fasting as I drive home that I'll catch all the green lights, um, my life is not going to be good. And I, you know, so Mrs. Jones, I love you, but can we meet tomorrow? And that's what leaders do. It's okay to, to be able to do that. I'm not saying you're not, you're not pastoral. And, if, you know, of course, if somebody is you know, falling apart, I mean, it was public, public news that Rick and Kay Warren's son, Matthew, committed suicide. That's not a situation where I would go, I'm not sure I can come over right now. No, obviously, when there are situations like that, you drop everything. And you, you are a pastor in that, in that moment. But those are the minority, not the majority. And those are the things that take our time. Okay? Clear? Make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, let's go to another room in our soul. It's the room that I call the study room. I love this quote by Gordon MacDonald. He says, When the Christian's mind becomes dull, he can fall prey to the propaganda of a non-Christian scheme of things led by people who have not neglected their thinking powers and have simply outthought us. As a leader, you would need to be a learner. Once you stop learning, you will stop leading. So leader, if I was to look at your weekly schedule, and then I would ask a question, when in your weekly schedule do you have time to learn? When are you learning? When is your, when is your face in a book? When is it in a commentary? When are you, when are you developing this domain of your of your life. So a couple actions to think about. I've got to decide as a leader, do I want to study or do I want to skim? Okay, do I want to study or do I want to skim? How many of you have eaten at a Ruth's Chris or a Morton's or a really good steakhouse? Let me see your hands. You've really good steakhouse. Sure. How many of you eaten at Taco Bell? Okay. How many of you can tell the difference between the meat? Okay. Yeah. And so can your audience that if you're feeding them fast food every week, they're growing up on a diet of fast food that hasn't been studied or thought about or figured out how to, you know, reveal it into their life. Tomorrow, if you, um, you know, if you signed up for my, my teaching class, we're going to talk about what, is that, what does that look like to not just feed fast food every week. But, um, do, you know, what kind of leader do you want to be? Do you want to be a skimmer? Do you want to be a soundbiter? Do you want to get your, your best wisdom from Twitter? Or do you want to study? A second would be this, to study for depth over breadth. Again, some of the guilting that I think happens in the, in the church is, you know, you see this in January in people's blogs. My goal is to read 36 books this year. Okay, that to me is studying for breadth. Okay, you could read 36 small books, 36 meaningless books. Okay, don't be caught up into that how many books you're going to read type thing. That when you study, you study for depth. And the only way that I know how is one leader talking to the next is I have to block out study as an appointment. So in my weekly calendar, when I spend time on Sunday night and prepare my weekly calendar, I actually have to put in study appointments. And then when people say, can I meet with you during that time? I can say, you know what? I, haven't, I can't. I have an appointment. Okay? Now, I put in plenty of time for people, plenty of time for people. 
Okay, but I also have to put in plenty of time for for prep. Or this this domain in my soul will grow empty and and weak. A a biggie. This is the one that we teach about a lot: is uh, taking action on spiritual strength. Herbert Butterfield, in his book Christianity and History, which I'm sure all of you have read. Uh, says this, both in history and in life, it is a phenomena by no means rare to meet with comparatively unlettered people who seem to have struck profound spiritual depths. While there are many highly educated people of whom one feels that they are performing clever antics with their mind to cover a gaping hollowness that lies within. I just found that to be so profound. That just because somebody's gone to school or somebody's studied or they seem intellectual, they're performing clever antics with mind because they don't have any real depth in their, in their spiritual being. You know, we are spiritual leaders. We're not activities directors. We're not, you know, that's part of the difference between the YMCA and the church. We just don't run programs for the sake of running programs. We believe in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is active and alive and that kids, families can be a part of it today. And so because of that, we are spiritual leaders, meaning this, we need to be leading and teaching out of, our, out of an overflow, right? I mean, nobody's going to disagree with that. The question then becomes, in the busyness of ministry, how do I take time to care for my soul, all right? So in taking action on spiritual strength, you know, this would one we could do a whole workshop on. But for me, it is, I have to know my full and empty gauges, Okay. I have to know what my gauges are. And I have to know, hey, this is when I'm moving towards emptiness. This is just right out of my own journal. So here's what's from my journal. Um, when I'm empty, I'm more selfish. I'm impatient and frustrated and fragmented. I lack compassion with those who are hurting. I'm more vulnerable to temptation. I'm short with people especially short people. I'm cynical and insecure and judgmental. I find it more difficult to make good decisions, and I feel distant from God. Okay, that's my list. That's the Doug Fields list. So I know that when I'm spiritually empty, all of a sudden I find myself more cynical. I'm, I'm frustrated easier. Things, bo- And now, you know, my wife, my kids who are all in their 20s, my, the men that are in my accountability, my authentic community, they all know that as well. So they know, here are the signs that Doug is nearing empty. And then what do, what do you do? And we'll talk about refreshment in a second. What do you do that refreshes your soul? So here is, if you get nothing out of this whole workshop, my coaching to you, if you don't know you're spiritually empty and you're spiritually full list, you ought to identify that. Okay? Because then when you begin to see signs of it, you can just pull back and go, okay, something's broken. I need to maybe cancel all tomorrow's appointments and I just maybe need to go find a retreat center or go to the beach or the mountains or something and just get away and and be with God because I am not going to be an effective leader if I'm leading on on emptiness. And finally, taking action on calling. This is the last room in the basement of our souls. And what I mean by calling is this. When you when you're called, called people have a strength from within. Called people have a perseverance and a power that is really strong to uh, the, the outside, the enemy. You know, calling is what drives a stake in the ground that says, okay, I'm going to have some dark sides of ministry, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through it. And healthy leaders that run the marathon, they just know that they're called. 
Okay, and they understand kind of their, their calling, but they're also aware that their calling is fragile. Okay, meaning that we're all one bad decision away from tanking our, our calling. So what I say here is be in touch with your own depravity. And then secondly, understand my own limits. That as leaders, every leader in here, you are a bundle of strengths and weaknesses. Okay, you're a bundle of strengths and weaknesses. I have a few strengths and a whole lot more weaknesses. Okay, that's kind of my gig. I, am, I'm a, I understand my own, my own limits. And when, when here's what happens at stuff like this. We actually come and we compare ourselves to other people. You'll hear speakers or see leaders or hear stories and everybody's success story. And all of, anytime you compare a leader, you lose. Anytime you compare, you lose. Because you either go more prideful or you'll have a, a false sense of humility. Okay? You compare, you lose. Everybody looks better from a distance. Trust me. Everybody you see on stage looks better from a distance. So don't compare. Understand your own limits. Who am I called to be? Okay? What am I called to do? What is the best use of my time? What is necessary? You're running a marathon. Anybody can impress anybody from a distance. But you want to impact people? That picture of legacy that I showed you is you allow people up close. And how you, how you impact people up close is you be a person of character, a person of soul, a person of strength, whose basement is, is built out. at Orange Conference 2018. This is Holly Crawshaw, and I'm here with the wonderful... Sarah Bragg. And Heather, and uh, we're here to talk about adult small groups. Heather, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you've been working on lately, what you've been doing, what you've been up to. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, thanks so much for having me on. This is awesome. Uh, What I've been up to, well, I have a toddler that just turned three, so that's 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 all you've been up to, That's pretty much all I'm able to be up to, yeah. Well, your girl... Uh, girl, her name is Sawyer, uh, <gasps> and uh, we picked it out for a boy. But then when we found out we were having a girl, we thought we'd stick with it. So okay, we name. named our girls. I have two girls. She has three girls, and so and we named. I named our girls after men in our family. So see, it's the oh, same. Yeah, yeah. It, so Sawyer's my maiden name, and so that's how yes, she landed with that's it. Great. I love family family names. Yeah, I love that. So we've got that going on, and uh, then leading small groups and ministries at National Community Church in Washington D.C. Uh, that's where my husband and I have been for oh gosh, since about two thousand one. Really, and uh, wow. just having a blast. It's a it's a really unique time to be in our nation's capital. Mm-hmm. And, I would say uh, so. <laughs> but we're having a blast. Uh, doing life together there with people and uh, and leading and uh, then have a book uh, that's yep. coming out with Orange uh, Big Change Small Groups. Uh, my mom just asked me last night, when did you have time to write a book? And I was like, I you know, just in between all the toddler crazy, it, it yes. works. So that's uh, impressive. Time. <laughs> I, Holly has written a book when she had like a newborn, so let's all just like bow down. Yeah, that's but, that's the most yes. impressive. But like I, don't I know always no, I always say like my book came out before I had kids, and I was like, and then I had kids, and I was like, I don't know how to put words together to form sentences like it just stopped. well nobody <laughs> like, said that nobody little. nobody commented on the merit of said <laughs> for sure <laughs> whatever oh gosh well i'm excited to chat about small groups with you and it's it's interesting because i feel like your background even you just mentioned like even being in the nation's capital that's got to be such a unique 
take on small groups in itself because it's so transient. People are coming and going and a new administration comes in and the old one's gone. So people leave your church. Like that's a whole other dynamic that a lot of churches don't have. Absolutely. We have people uh, in DC for about two years. That's that's kind of the life cycle. Uh, in fact, students that come to DC are longer tenured than the average NCC, because at least we have them for four years. Yeah. So the average lifespan of a Capitol Hill staffer, someone working in the administration, someone working at a think tank, is about two years. So we're having to think a little bit more when it comes to spiritual formation. Like a like we're a mission sending organization more than a mm. local church, even in some ways. Yeah. So it's very transient. Yeah. Let's talk about your book. Let's talk about small groups. And in the book, you talk about the mission of a small group leader. Mm-hmm. So can you walk us through those four principles? Absolutely. Uh, I, I wanted to do something that kept things very practical. Uh, so a book that could be handed to any small group leader and, uh, you know, whether they've been leading for 10 years mm-hmm. or they, they're starting in 10 minutes, that if you do <laughs> these four things, it's going to help you create a, a place where community happens and disciples are made. So the first principle is just be present. I think a lot of times we come into small group leadership putting expectations on ourselves. And sometimes that happens because others put those expectations expectations on us. We have to be a Bible scholar or a theologian or the group therapist. Mm-hmm. And right. the reality is just being present, being with people. Uh, it says in scripture that Jesus called 12 men to be with him. And so if we can just be with people, uh, and in the book we talk about being with them, you know, randomly, being with them predictably, like, but just being present with people is the first step in leadership. And then the second principle is creating a safe place. Uh, small groups are incredibly messy. Uh, yes. it, you're, you're dealing with introverts, extroverts, left brain, right brain, um, across denominational theological spectrum and experiences. Well, and especially when dealing with adults in small groups. Yes, absolutely. Because even in, they're messy with like high school or middle school. They're maybe less messy with preschool small groups. But with I don't adult, know. Right? I mean, messy in a different way. As a it's preschool like, director, it's it's <laughs> messy. But each right. I think each grade, each group, uh, each range has its own brand yes, of mess. But adults mess. bring a whole lot of mess and baggage into a group, uh, right? And a lot of times we don't we're not prepared for that. It's it's different mm-hmm. from dealing with a with in the nursery with you know messy diapers or you know potty training or um, you know social media with with middle school kids and things like that. But with adults, it gets very messy, and a lot of it. It's a little bit more under the surface. and uh, But I actually believe that messes are great incubators for miracles and transformation. And so if you can create a safe place for those difficulties, those challenging questions, those tensions, difficult circumstances, if you can create a safe place for people to walk through those and feel safe in the process, then I think we can see transformation on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third principle is make it personal, that if we want to lead other people, we have to become leaders worth following. Mm-hmm. And that begins with leading ourselves well. So it's not about what happens in the two hours of your group, but the other 166 mm-hmm. hours of the week. So how do you make sure that you are leading in such a way uh, that you're going to be a leader worth following? And on, on one hand, it, it makes leadership a lot easier easier. Because again, it's not about having the right answers. It's not about uh, being able to give the right advice. Mm -hmm. It's not about even being at a certain level. 
level of spiritual maturity. It's just saying, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. But at the same time, we're saying, follow me. Right. And I don't know, at any given moment, I want people following my example. Right. So, right. you know, leading like, In leading the car especially. Well. And that, I use that as the example. Like, I don't know that people want to see me in rush hour traffic right. in Atlanta. Right. I don't know that I want anyone following that no. example. No. But leading ourselves well so that we are leader, leaders that are worth following. And then the final principle is just move them out. What's next? And in uh, in children's world, a lot of times that's about moving them to the next grade, moving them to right. the next season of life. And in an adult world, a lot of those principles still apply. We're wanting to move people out to start their own communities, to start their own group, moving them on to the next phase of their own spiritual growth. Maybe it's a milestone, uh, you know, whatever the denomination is, a baptism, a confirmation, a, whatever that next step is for them in their spiritual journey, uh, moving them to the next growth opportunity. It could be moving them to the next season of life. Life with adults. There's, you know, yeah. there's the marriage transition, a graduation transition, a new new baby transition, an mm-hmm. empty nest transition, dealing with aging parents. Yes. So as a group leader, just being sensitive to those seasons and knowing that this is all movement and so creating that safe place for movement to happen. So you, you talk about these four principles and I wanted to stop you at the first one. So I, I showed some self-control. Yeah. You did. Good job, Holly. <laughs> You're leading yourself well. <laughs> <laughs> little, little self-regulation. So the first principle you talked about was being present. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like in our culture today, so mm. addicted and in love with social media, which in so many ways fuels good things, mm-hmm. but can also be a huge distraction and, and, and a huge point of disconnection mm-hmm. for people. So what would you say is a small group leader's role in being present, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? A small group leader of adult small groups, mm-hmm. how can they be present for their group members? It's a yeah. little bit different than like a high school small group leader. Sure. Because you don't want to call an adult small group leader's parents. Right. <laughs> um, that could get awkward. Right. right. <laughs> don't call my parents, Heather, please. Right. Um, I mean, I think I think being a, uh, in a, in the adult world, being present, I think when you kind of, when you show up randomly, that's one of the best ways you can communicate. I'm here and I'm with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've shared this story uh, before that I went through a, a period of uh, walking through infertility, and and did that for years in silence, and then finally decided I need to bring a group into that. And about two years into later in that process, I got a note from one of them that says, "Hey, uh, well, it didn't say hey, it just said I'm still praying." That's all it said. It wasn't signed. There wasn't a Bible verse. There wasn't an inspirational quote. Just, I'm still praying. Which made it so much more impactful. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it communicated to me, I see you. I know you. I hear you. I'm still in this with you. It's huge. And so instead of this like fast moving, you know, you know, the age of text and 140 characters or less and, Mm -hmm. and all of the images that are thrown to us, that one simple note kept me going for a really long time. So I think even just show, knowing what's going on in the lives of the people in your group, and you don't you don't have to be an expert, like you don't have to be everywhere all the time, just showing up randomly to show I'm with you in this part of your journey. I think that's huge. When I think about, I'm a, I'm a small group leader of a group of moms, and it's easy to go, oh, I just don't have time. I have all these, my own mm-hmm. kids, my own job, my husband, all these, all these people need me. But it can be as simple as that, like a, a call, a text, Absolutely. You know, something to just say, I'm thinking of you. And that, I know for me does a lot for me just to know that someone reached out in the simplest of ways. Absolutely. And social media, like I think a lot of times we see social media as a, a hindrance, right. but we can actually, if we leverage that in the right ways, Absolutely. that's even a way to show up randomly. For sure. So it's just about making sure that, that those things are, um, 
are enhancing our community and not detracting from it when yes. we're when we're face to face with people being face to face and then when we're not leveraging that to enhance the community that we have okay so what are some ways that we can lead ourselves well because I think that's that's a hard <laughs> thing to do for for a lot of us yeah absolutely well and I, I think this became very clear to me I especially the part about making sure you've, you've got relationships, um, that part of leaning ourselves. Well, I think a lot of people are so busy creating community for other people. Yes. Especially in the ministry world. If you're working for a church. Absolutely. You can get so busy creating community for other people that you fail to experience it for yourself. And I think our strength is found when we're together. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. what we talk about so much in orange. We can do more together. And, uh, so as a leader, part of making yourself a leader worth following is, to model the things that you want to see happen in your group. Mm. And so making sure that you're connected, and that might happen in the group you lead, uh, but it may not. You might need to find uh, some other people that are leading similar groups that you can kind of link arms with, uh, other people that maybe are a few steps down the road further than you that can kind of coach and give guidance and insight. And then I think just making sure we have routines and rhythms in place. Um, We can't hope that our group becomes a praying group if we're not doing that on our own. We can't hope that our group becomes a a people that are not just Bible studiers, but Bible doers if we're not doing that ourselves. And so just trying to put um, into practice, and and I try to do it in seasons, like for the next six months or the next six weeks, I'm going to really lean in to this spiritual discipline. And then I'm going to bring my group into that. It's so good to break it up like that. Yes. Then it doesn't seem so overwhelming. Oh, yeah. I mean, if I was told, you know, okay, I'm going to get up at five o'clock in the morning for the next every year of my life, that's that goal is right. going to like end very quickly. Right. Um, but <laughs> if I can say, today, I will <laughs> yeah, if very I can say, defeating <laughs> for the next week, I'm in a season where I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. to pray or to intercede. That's manageable and right. I can do that. And I think we can go further faster when we actually put time limits mm-hmm. on it and then allow ourselves opportunity to reassess. How is God working in my life in this season? How do I need to lean in? Where do I need to lean in? And who do I need to lean in to? So so you talk a lot about adult small group leaders. When it comes to creating a safe space as an adult small Mm -hmm. group leader, you mentioned living in the tension. Yeah. Um, that's not very comfortable for people like me. I don't me. like tension. I, I like for everyone to like me, for right. everyone to be happy, yeah. and for there to be... I'm a harmonizer. There to be... Okay, you've got a harmony strength. Do you have a woo strength? Is that <laughs> well, I have woo, harmonizer. Like, oh my goodness. Um, Let's just keep everybody happy. I'm just going to let y'all know right now, I like you, both of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank y'all are you. great. Thanks, Heather. <laughs> we can end this interview now. I am accepted. Do you, do you Have you taken the Enneagram by uh, chance? I well, I've taken it, but w- it it has me pegged as a, a three. That's but so, everyone around me is convinced I'm a seven. So I could see you being a seven. I'm living in the tension. You are. But That's a great segue back to that tension. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Sarah, for tossing that back to me. So, what's it like for a leader to live in the tension? What does that look like? And is there ever mm-hmm. a time when that tension needs to be resolved? And if so, what does that look like? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Andy Stanley did a talk probably at a Catalyst conference years ago that talked about like there are tensions to be managed and problems to be solved. Absolutely. Yes. Now, if I could just figure out the difference between those two, right, right. <laughs> that, that's right. that's where we need part two of that talk. Um, <laughs> but I think as a leader, the more we do this, we do encounter situations where like, okay, that's a problem that can be solved. Right. Um, we can come up with a solution to that. And then others are tensions to be managed. And, you know, tensions are often found in personality differences, uh, introverts and extroverts. There's gonna be a little bit of a tension when people come from 
Republican and Democrat mindsets, which we have often I in have. our groups sure in D.C. magnified where you A little live. bit of tension. Uh, even when you come from different theological perspectives, um, there can be tension. There are, mm-hmm. There's so many things, whether it's, um, you know, ethnic differences or demographic differences or socioeconomic differences, all those differences create tension and I think as a leader we think we need to get rid of all that tension right we need to fix it we Mm -hmm. need to fix it for us to grow we have to get rid of the mess we have to clean it up we have to make everybody okay and I think the opposite is actually true I think tension is where we find growth and I think that mess is where we have the opportunity for transformation Mm -hmm. I know I I have a um, an engineering background so sometimes I nerd out on some of these things when I think about how do things grow but or how do things move or transform but to get a wheel to roll, you actually have to have friction. If there's no friction, the wheel doesn't roll. It will just float around aimlessly. And so if we want positive forward movement, a little bit of friction actually can help. That's good. That is good for someone like me to hear. So it's just, it's recognizing that the friction can help us grow. It can help us see other perspectives. It can sharpen. Maybe, you know, you find yourself in conflict with somebody of a totally different opinion. You end that conversation from, with the exact same opinion, but you found a stronger place to land in it Mm -hmm. just because you've entered that place. And maybe you have more respect for them, even though you disagree. Sure. So I think tension is good. It's not always fun, but I think on the other, or comfortable, but on the other side of it, I think we do become better people. And we find ourselves with better communities. Do you think that small group leaders struggle more with any of these principles? Is there like one of these principles that is more of a struggle? That's a good question. And it probably depends a little bit on the personality of the leader. Um, So creating a safe place and leaning into that tension is probably going to be the most difficult for some people. Mm -hmm. I think that um, for most, if I had to pick one that's going to be hardest for most, is that move them on, move them to what's next, move them out piece. Because we get really comfortable in the us for no more. Mm-hmm. And there's something good and very uh, godly about that, that right. we love the community we're in. And we can't imagine anything worse than having that come to an end. Uh, and yet at the same time, having a closed system is not, I, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. It was this very open system of open communities that are inviting other people in to experience life and faith. And so whenever you start talking to a small group leader about, okay, how do we move them out? How do we move them to a place where they're leading their own group or creating their own community? That's difficult. Both, I think, from a heart level uh, and also just practically, how do you put the the strategy in place to make that happen? Yeah. Well, that's what I was about to ask. Like, what yeah. are the pra- What's something practical that a, you know, the pastor mm-hmm. can help encourage that and foster sure. that. Sure. I think uh, one thing we try to do in our context is talk about that early and often, that the purpose of our group is not just our group. The purpose of our group is to expand. It's to create more communities. And when you kind of mention that on night one, that mm-hmm. hey, a year from now, what group are you going to be leading? It kind of sets a tone. And then I think from a so I think that sets a tone from a motivation perspective. I think it's just reminding the leader, this is about going and making disciples. Uh, this is part of us fulfilling Jesus' last command. And so what we're doing is maybe hard at times. Maybe it doesn't feel comfortable. But at the end of the day, we're making a difference in the world by doing this together and um, gathering people and then scattering them to do the same thing that you've done. So what would you say is something that um, a pastor could do to train their current leaders 
to sort of maybe look in their group and, and, and coach maybe some future leaders or pick out yeah. some future leaders? What What are some practical tips that you have for pastors to sort of facilitate creating new groups and yeah. doing that in a healthy way? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, a lot of times uh, the, the first thing is you've got to identify somebody that could be a potential leader. And I always try to come in with the mindset that everyone is a potential leader. If everybody's called to make disciples, then and we're all called to do life together, then everyone is a potential leader. So who's the, who's the right potential leader in this right. season? So uh, I use an acronym... Um, I look for fat people. <laughs> so the, Favorite acronym ever. <laughs> there uh, are the F would be faithful. Are they faithful? Are they showing yeah. up? Are they committed? Have they displayed a level of faithfulness to the group and to their relationship with the Lord? Uh, the second one would be just be available. Are they in a season of life when this makes sense? If they just had a newborn probably not the right season of right. life. Mm-hmm. If they're in a life transition, maybe it is, maybe not. But looking at, are they available? And then the T is teachable. I would rather, I, I believe the best spiritual leaders are the ones that ask the best questions and are most hungry to grow themselves, not mm-hmm. the ones who think they mm-hmm. have it all figured out and know all the answers. And some of those are the loudest. They so, are the loudest, right. yes, and the most confident. But yes. looking for the person that's teachable or hungry. And so that's kind of identification. And then in terms of getting them ready, I think right. it's all about being in the trenches together. Mm-hmm. So saying, hey, come alongside me, do what I do as I do it. Not assigning them the things you don't want to do because you're not good at, but saying, right. lead this group with me for a season. Do what I, watch me do it. Let's do it together. I'll watch you do it uh, because I believe that you're you're ready to go yeah. in a similar role. That is good. That is helpful. Can I ask you one last question, Heather? Absolutely. So many churches have strategies for children's ministry, preschool mm-hmm. ministry, student ministry, but not every church has a strategy for adult ministry, mm-hmm. which is ironic considering that adults make up the majority of their congregation. Right. right. So what would you say to the ministry leader listening right now who doesn't have an intentional adult strategy? What would you say to encourage them or maybe a great first step or maybe a thought or a concept mm-hmm. that might encourage them to take that step to meet this need, this very mm-hmm. felt need in a congregation? Yeah, I think I think the first question or the first question I would maybe ask them is just what are what are you modeling in your own life? Do you have a few people that you have gathered around you that you're investing in? Because a lot of times this has to start organically, especially right. with adults. We we tend to think programs and structures and strategies and systems, which is all good and necessary, but how is this playing out in your own life? And yeah, just gather 10 to 12 around you and start digging into the word together, digging into life together. And with the idea that it eventually you're going to, they're going to do this on their own mm-hmm. as well and communicating that up front. And then I think in terms of motivation, just in, in reminding people, this is the reason we exist is to make disciples, to help people take that next step in their relationship with Christ. So this isn't just about having a program, a strategy in order to, for us, you know, to have a job and have the bills paid and have a position on a church right. staff and have things for people to do. This is about infusing the life of Christ in the next generation, whether that's a biological generation right. or just a spiritual generation. That's good. Yeah. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Thanks so much so for nice having to me, meet you, Heather. So, so fun. Where, where can people find you, Heather? Uh, they can find me on Instagram mm-hmm. or Twitter or Facebook at Heather Zempel. Uh, that's Z E M P E L. And heatherzempel.com exists, but I have not written there in a long time, so I wouldn't <laughs> waste your time there. In the name of your book, one last time uh, Big Change, Small Groups. Okay. Love it. Thank you so much, Heather. Nice to meet you. Good yes. to meet you, too. 
Well, there was so much great information there. Um, Ash, the thing that I loved about it is it, it was a reminder to me of the fact that when you're in ministry, like 24-7, it can sometimes, you get so caught up in just the machinery of that that you can often forget to f- have genuine, authentic community yourself. Yeah, I've experienced that a lot. I mean, it's hard to have authentic relationships and authentic community when a lot of what you do is confidential. Yeah. And so it's hard to like... In your, this is maybe what you're really going through, but you can't share it with anyone. Yeah. So it kind of feels like there's distance always between you and other people. So it's definitely an intentional, you have to be intentional about it in order to have it. And we need it. Yeah, because we have to be reminded constantly of the power of community ourselves. Even though we're, we're, we're expressing that, we're teaching that to the next generation, to our students and things like that, students will follow our example, not our opinion. So they have to see that we're in small groups ourselves more than just hear us talk about it. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because that was something that stuck out to me about the interview with Heather was when we stress that our kids and our students need to be in a small group and we're not in a small group either as a ministry leader or Mm. as the adults, then I think that we do a disservice to them because then it looks like they're just forced to do it because they're younger and then they're not going to, they don't have to live in community that way or accountability when they get older. And what we say and what we do becomes incongruent and kids can pick that up, man. They can totally pick that up. Yeah. I mean, all that research about Gen Z coming out, I mean, we know that kids and teenagers can see when you're bluffing, right? But with Gen Z, that is all they want is they want realness. They want authenticity and they want to see it in people or they don't want to follow them. I completely agree. Hey, we really hope that this episode has been helpful for you. If it has, we would love for you to give this podcast a five-star rating on Apple iTunes. I think it's worth it just for Ashley singing, (laughs) but we hope the content is worthy of a five-star rating as well. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do that. I want you right now, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, I want you to smash that subscribe button because we want as many people subscribe to this podcast as possible. Check out the show notes on thinkorangepodcast.com. Hey, on think I just noticed on thinkorangepodcast.com there is a fantastic photo of you, Ash. Thank you. It's like your profile photo. It's awesome. Oh, you know, when when those <laughs> Are you bringing this back up? Yeah. We talked about this once. But yeah, but Thank some you. people I haven't heard it. before. Yeah, I, I I, didn't, like, I saw those pictures afterwards and I was like, oh my gosh, I look like a lady. <laughs> like, you know, like I remember being like 20 you and look looking like, at someone in their 30s and be like, wow, they're like old. You look and, like a lady. Is yeah, that what you just said? <laughs> in, my, in my mind and but in my heart, I'm lady. like- I think, yeah, I know that and I'm proud of that. But like in my mind, in my heart, I'm like still in middle school. So like it just feels like it doesn't match how I feel. <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I I feel like a lady. Well, I, 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 something tells me there's a song in there. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I want to share it, but um, I think there is a song in there. But I think it's a fantastic photo of you. People should go and check it out. Just go to thinkorangepodcast.com, not for the show notes, just to see the photo of Ashley where it dawned on her that she was a lady. Make sure you share it with your friends as well. Share this podcast with your friends because we want to make our Think Orange Podcast family all the more bigger. And we would love also, if you've got a Friends of the Podcast t-shirt at Orange Conference, we want to see your photos of that. Just use the hashtag FOTP and also the hashtag Ashbo, which is short for <laughs> Ashley Bohent. Ash, as always, it's been a pleasure to be in the bunker with you. Kay, Daddy, thank you so much for all that you do with your little face pressed up against the portal window. And for everybody else who's listening, when you think next generation, think, think Orange. Orange. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Think Orange podcast. Join us next time for more ideas and conversations to help you influence the next generation. For more episodes and show notes, visit thinkorangepodcast.com. 